What, me worry? It's me, Alfred E. Newman. No, really, it's me, Cindy. And if you didn't get the Alfred E. Newman reference, check out the nutty Mad Magazine, especially if you're a 14-year-old boy. Anyway, I come from a long line of Olympic world-class warriors. So I've put a lot of thinking into this because I really wanted to break this one family tradition. I know there's no escaping it entirely. We all do it from time to time. Worrying is part of human nature, and it serves a purpose. If we didn't worry, we wouldn't be able to anticipate and prepare for life's challenges. However, worrying can be overwhelming, immobilizing. It can lead to depression and shape an inescapable negative outlook on life. Plus, it does not feel good at all. So, like I said, I've spent a lot of time on this, not worrying about worrying so much as trying to understand how I can corral it so it doesn't take over my thoughts and my life. The most reasonable weapon against excessive worrying is to recognize that most of what you worry about is never going to come true. Many studies have been done. There's one recently. They took 29 people that were diagnosed with general anxiety, you know, like most of us. They were asked to write down everything they worried about for a month and then at the end of that month to follow up with the outcomes. The study focused on worries of things that would happen within that month so it was easier to gauge. Now, when the subjects came back at the end of the month, the researchers found 91% of all the worries didn't come true. And for several of the subjects, not a single thing they worried about actually happened. Zip, zilch, zero. Think about that for a minute. 91% of everything that all these people worried about didn't even happen. And of the 9% of worries that did come true, it turned out that the outcome was often better than the person had feared. By proving to them that their feared outcome didn't happen as often as they thought, and that even when it did, it wasn't as bad as they thought it was going to be, the worriers could see that it isn't really serving them. The study supports two long-held theories. One, that worries are unlikely to occur, and two, that showing this to worriers can help lower their anxieties. Pretty good to know, right? You could conduct your own version by writing down your fears and negative predictions and test them out, see how often they're accurate, and see how many actually happen. Another way to reduce worrying, this from a book called The Worry Cure, you knew there'd be a book, right, would be to schedule a time every day to worry. According to the author, there are those of us or you who find they can forget about their concerns if they've set a time to devote to mulling them over. You know, like every day at three, you sit down and focus on all the horrible things weighing on you, the things that could go south, but from what we've learned, probably won't. The bonus to this method, if it works for you, is that not only does it spare you 24-7 worrying, but you could begin to realize when your time to worry rolls around that what you were worrying about yesterday or last week is no longer on your list because it didn't happen. Oh, don't you almost feel better just hearing that? I employ a delightful triple mix of what's the worst case scenario, where I look down the potential road to see if the concern comes to fruition, what would be the worst thing that would happen? Will my health or safety or well-being be ruined or compromised? Often the thing that's weighing heavily is only heavy on my end. Like, will I miss the deadline? Worst case scenario, I'll be late. In that case, I go on to step two, which is to absolve myself of guilt by asking in a month, a year, a decade, will this make a difference? So I miss the deadline, but get whatever it is done and submit it a day or two later. Assuming this isn't a pattern that ruins my reputation, therefore eliminating future obligations, a month later, it's a non-issue. 
And if I really want to push worry away, if it did eliminate future obligations, get this, I'd find a way to look at that as a positive. Like, I don't want to be held to such exacting and unforgiving standards. I am so excellent at this dodgeball game of guilt. My third long cultivated coping skill to sidestep worry is this, the Scarlett O'Hara method. Do you ever read Gone with the Wind? This is particularly useful when you're tossing and turning under the covers as the minutes tick, tick, tick away and sleep won't take over because you can't stop worrying about whatever it is that's currently plaguing you. It's also worth noting that for me, and I'm guessing you, everything is always worse and bigger and more potentially disastrous and panic-inducing at night. Why is that? All I know is I lean on that old adage, it's always darkest before the dawn. Anyway, so at the point I realize that I am never going to get to sleep if I don't stop trying to sort this out, I turned to the method well used by Scarlett O'Hara as she said time and time again, I won't worry about that now. I'll think about that tomorrow. I don't say it in a southern accent, though. There's also a version of this where you visualize a trunk or a box or a cliff, and you picture yourself putting that worry into that trunk or box or hurling it off that cliff so it's gone. The problem for me, maybe I'm just not a good enough visualizer, is I don't know what worry looks like, so I have a hard time seeing myself put it anywhere. My worries, as they exist to me, are conceptual. Maybe if I envision myself putting it on paper and putting the paper in a box, but not tossing it over the cliff, because, you know, that's littering and, well, no. Anyway, maybe this locking or tossing away your worry sounds like it could work for you, in which case, that's great. So, my own personal three-point panic attacker is pretty pragmatic. Take it down the road to worst-case scenario. Weigh how much it will matter if it does happen in a month, six months, a year. And if I still can't stop dwelling on it, put it away, or that is, just forget about it for another day. But wait, there's more! I have also discovered, and I've talked about this before, but it's worth going over again, the value of distraction. And in this case, finding some busy work that's going to redirect your brain and stop the maddening cycle of having whatever that demon is, if only long enough to take a break. Those adult coloring books? Brilliant. Not just because who doesn't love coloring? And if you haven't colored since you were a kid, you have a nice surprise coming. But spending some time focusing on filling in all the tiny spaces with the crayon or marker or colored pencils of your choice can help clear your mind. Not only does it increase your focus, but it decreases activity in the part of the brain that triggers your stress response, reducing cortisol, your fight or flight, aka panic hormone. And not just while you're coloring, but if you continue to color on a regular basis, you could find that you just don't get as stressed as you did before. That, right there, is a great reason to grab a box of colored pencils and a book or two. Coloring before bed could help you sleep better, not only because it'll engage your brain so you're not busy worrying, but if you're coloring, it means you're not on your phone, iPad, or computer, sucking up the dreaded blue screen light that prohibits the production of the sleep hormone melatonin. Aha! And beyond shifting your brain from worry mode to, ooh, this is looking pretty, I think I'll make this part cornflower blue. There's the added also helpful benefit of being more calm, getting a better sleep, which will also help bolster your well-being that can result in diminishing your concerns. See how this is working? But wait, there's more here too. Even beyond taming your worrying habit, coloring will enhance your creativity. The big bonus here is once you've kicked the door open or greased the pump or opened the faucet or whatever analogy suits your fancy, the creative juices will begin to stream into other areas of your life. Next thing you know, you're coming up with a brilliant business plan that impresses the boss, or you're picking a new color for the living room and boosting everybody's mood. Color, you know. Listen to episode 30, Flowers, Pink Power, and Eyeballs for more on the psychology of color. 
Or you're starting up a new hobby making uh, felted llamas and selling them on Etsy. You get the idea. To think that coloring one design on one page could start you down a whole new road. Well, it's just thrilling is what that is. One last point worth making is that coloring is very social. So you could get a few friends together. Maybe while you're all chill and coloring, you could start a conversation about worrying. Who does? Everybody. And not only can you share ideas about coping, but you could find that all your worries don't seem as overwhelming by the light of day with a box of crayons and a couple of friends around you. Clearly, there's no one-size-fits-all cure for worrying, but there are plenty of this-one-could-work-for-you options. It's true that unpleasant thoughts and negative emotions are part of our human condition. Lucky us. But you don't want to lose sleep or tax your nervous system by the constant grind of anxiety. So the goal is to shrink them down to manageable so you can spend less time worrying about what could happen, but probably won't, and spend more time enjoying your life. Feel free to subscribe to the It's Me, Cindy podcast, where it's me just trying to help us all have more fun, less misery, and live the happiest life.